0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Babylon 5 versus uh, Deep Space Nine, the podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at B5VSDS9. We're available on all major and most minor podcatchers. Please like and subscribe on your podcatcher of choice. If you have a question about either show or anything else you'd like us to tackle, leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or any other podcatcher. Take a screenshot and email the screenshot and your question to us at b5bsds9 at gmail.com, and we will answer your question live on the show. We plan to start a Patreon with bonus content in the near future, so if you have any ideas of stuff you'd like to see for bonus episodes, please hit us up again at email at b5bsds9 at gmail.com. Hello everyone, welcome back to Babylon 5 vs. Deep Space Nine, this is Bob from Cascadia. I got Matt from the Southland on the line. What do you want, Matt?
1: What do I want? That is the question. I want Dogecoin to hit the moon, Bob. It's not going
0: to. Daddy Musk isn't doing shit for you. All right. So uh, today we're covering uh, Necessary Evil, Season 2, Episode 8 of Deep Space Nine. And we're also covering Signs Importance, uh, which I believe is Season 1. Is it Episode 13, Matt? It is yeah. Episode 13, yes. Yeah. Which also gave its name to the Season 1 story arc as a whole. Um, so Signs Importance aired on the 18th of May, 1994 and then Necessary Evil aired on the 11th of November, 1994. In the A-plot of Necessary Evil, we've got uh, Vatric Palra, who's the widow of a Bajoran pharmacist on Tarok Noor, who gets murdered, and uh, so she hires Quark to retrieve a list of Bajoran names from her uh, dead husband's former shop. But uh, Quark is nearly murdered by a mysterious figure. The list is stolen, and the near-murder of Quark causes Odo to reopen this case, which is the, uh, his first case on Terok and the reason Dukat recruited him to be the security officer on the station.
1: Yeah, this episode has, like, quite possibly the strangest opening I think we've seen so far in a Deep Space Nine episode. Uh, you have the candlelit room with Vatric uh, Palra staring at the storm from her window, as the thunder continuously crashes between the silent parts of her dialogue report. it's uh It's really weird, and it made me think this was going to be one of those holodeck episodes. Yeah, yeah, I
0: can see where you got the holodeck vibes. I mean, I think they were just kind of going for that 1940s melodrama or 1940s uh, gothic film feel, a little bit Rebecca, maybe the Hitchcock film, or a little bit uh, Betty Davis or a Joan Crawford weepy with, like, the candles and the storm and the big emotions and the fancy dress in the opening scene, but... I thought it was kind of charming. It kind of fit in with the retro vibe of the episode. In the B plot, we've got a flashback showing how Odo, after being recruited by Ducat, meets Paula Kira, and Quark for the first time. And then in the present, we have uh, Rom hopes he might inherit the bar if his brother dies.
1: Poor Rom in this episode. Like at the very beginning, he wants so much to like gain acceptance from uh from Quark. He has that, like, magnezyte drop thing that he uses to open the wall panel to get the, the the list. But instead of being impressed, Cork is just, like, really annoyed that Rom has learned how to do this by uh, practicing on the floor vault in the bar. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, really, like, he just can't impress the dude. It kind of made me think back to when I was younger. Like, I never really felt like I needed to impress my brother. And I don't think he did either. I think we just fought all the time. <laughs> I don't know what the... Yeah. What the
0: that's a similar dynamic in, uh, in my brother and my relationship, too, I think. How how distant in age were you and your brother, Matt? We're only two years apart. Okay. Yeah, I, did, I thought it was a little more than that. Because you, you might, like, with my brother, it being, it being, like, five and a half years, that's, like, pretty distant. So, you know, that might kind of, like, fracture the relationship. But you would normally think that siblings who were only, like, a year or two or three apart might, you know, there might be a kind of more like the first, the older one is setting the pattern, which seems to be the case for Quark
1: and Rom. Yeah. But then also <laughs> like, in you know, when, when he goes to the med bay, you know, Odo immediately accuses Rom of killing Quark. Like it's just an immediate thing. Like, Oh, you killed him cause you want the bar. And then Rom's all excited about it. <laughs> but then uh, <laughs> he quickly realizes that he probably shouldn't seem like he's excited because now he appears suspicious and Odo just keeps drilling him about it. It's pretty funny.
0: Yeah, yeah, it, it is kind of interesting. I mean, I think the idea is more just uh, Odo wants Rom to get worried and tell him everything he knows more than he actually thinks Rom is likely to have killed Quark. Although we do get those kind of fun scenes of Cisco and Odo playing good cop, bad cop to Rom. Although I have to say at first, the way that Cisco actually, like, I'm not sure if it's the way they set up Cisco coming into the conversation or just that Avery Brooks is playing it so sincere. But at first it it kind of feels like, oh, no, actually Cisco is kind of like stepping on uh, uh, stepping on Odo's investigation here to protect his his uh, son's friend's dad. But then
1: late, later it becomes clear that, no, no, he's just doing a good cop routine to Odo's bad cop. This is also the first time I think we see that rom is not just a complete dolt like he does have some practical skills that, uh you know enable him. he could use to, like you know help people uh like he's kind of mechanical i guess in a sense like he's got the
0: yeah and it's kind of it's kind of funny that he kind of gets into it through the back door right like he's actually a much better burglar than quark which is kind of funny i was just listening to one of my uh, favorite podcasts talk about how you know, burglars and second and third story men are the aristocracy of the criminals. Uh, but Rom is actually, you know, a very technically expert burglar about getting through locks and getting in safes. And, you know, that's sort of the back door into, oh, okay, he actually has some technical knack.
1: And then at the end of the episode, Rom actually saves uh, Quark with that horrible Ferengi howl. This is the most grating noise I've ever heard. I actually recorded it. And I'm going to oh, play God. it for you, Bob. No, you no, no, no. <laughs>
0: i'm back is it over
1: yeah it's 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 over it's over but uh that, oh that, my god uh, that is the it's family. the worst mm-hmm.
0: did he do that in the
1: was it in rules of acquisition i think that was actually horrible. or made that horrible noise when he was in pain
0: oh that yeah that's right that's right Mary i feel somewhere. like rom screeched for some other reason though maybe in maybe
1: in the nagus episode in the first season i think so i think so yes we've heard it before but this time it just kept going and
0: yeah. Oh, God. Very painful. Very painful. I mean, we already have alluded to it a little bit, but uh, we are we do kind of have a film noir style in this one, right? With uh, Palra as the femme fatale, Golducott as the sinister uh, bad cop authority figure, Odo as the sort of, um, you know, put-upon investigator who, instead of a voiceover, has a security officer's log that Cisco is making him keep. And then, you know, you have Kira as the, you know, the other femme fatale and the, you know, the kind of debate is like, oh, well, you know, will Paula or Kira turn out to be the real villain is, you know, the kind of, that's a structure you see in a lot of old film noirs is which, uh, which femme fatale is actually the, the deadly one and which one's heart's are, heart is pure, which is sort of interestingly subverted here because on the one hand, Kira is a good person and actually has good reason to have committed the, uh, the killing. But on the other hand, uh, Paula, uh, even though she was innocent of the first murder, turns out to be, uh, you know, quite politically violent
1: on her own. This is the first time we hear that the name of the station is Turok Nor. I don't think it is, but I couldn't say that for a fact. I think it may be because I remember as a kid watching this episode and trying to understand what they were going, like, I didn't get what they were talking about. But now it's oh, adult, like, adult. I'm like, oh, okay, Terra. Okay, Terraignore. Gotcha. Okay, that's the actual name of the station when it was under Cardassian k- occupation. Uh, yeah. same, same place, different, uh, different rules. I mean,
0: I guess that would be a relatively easy question to answer because it probably one would just need to watch like Emissary Cardassians. Uh, and I, I don't even know if there are any, like, if, if they don't say it in one of those, they probably didn't say it. So. Yeah. And this was kind of interesting because very recently we kind of had a debate about um, how much Odo would have been a collaborator to be, you know, basically a cop cop for the Cardassians. And this answer, uh, I'd forgotten about this episode, but it's a pretty good episode and it kind of answers that question to a certain extent because like basically... On the one hand, Ducat, even though he rhetorically claims that he wants Odo neutral, it's obvious that Ducat has like an agenda for putting Odo in place. And so he, you know, he doesn't expect the effect of Odo to actually be neutral between the Cardassians and the Bajorans. And then on the other hand, Odo immediately finds he can't be a neutral, disinterested enforcer of the law. He has to choose. And so, you know, he chooses to let the resistance activity he learns about on Terotnor go unreported. So he actually does you know kind of become an embedded agent for the Bajoran resistance in a sense even though he would probably
1: resist that uh, characterization. Yeah but doesn't he essentially end up killing 10 random Bajorans because of this?
0: well that, that was kind of weird so that's one of the motives ducat has for odo to take the case is ducat says and you know we should never necessarily believe anything ducat says but ducat says the Cardassian union just wants him to execute 10 random bajorans and say the case is solved and uh ducat doesn't want to do that um or at least he says he doesn't so you know he tasks odo to find out who actually uh murdered the uh the pharmacist and, but then Odo doesn't solve it. Um he, he could have given Kira over to Dukat, but he doesn't. And the the murdering or the executing of ten random majorans is never mentioned again. So I don't know if that was a bluff by Ducat or if Ducat just kind of tried to do that ingratiating thing with, Oh well, Odo, I've seen you've done a good job. I you know, I won't actually do the executions. But yeah, for whatever reason that's never picked up again in the episode at the least that I remember
1: yeah and theco was always impressed by uh, Odo's Cardassian neck trick so yeah
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> which you were asking in the notes what it what it is there's a couple different explanations in apparent in like role-playing games but if you just look at like quark mining it, it, it just kind of looks like Odo is like puffing out his neck like a Cardassian. But I, yeah, there's there's much more elaborate uh, descriptions of what it is apparently in a couple of the role playing game supplementary materials. You ever notice Cardassians cannot turn their heads? That's actually apparently supposed to be part of it. I, I didn't want to get into it because I wasn't <laughs> sure if I could explain it well but apparently like Cardassians have a much more restricted uh I I don't know I guess the average figure is like humans can maybe turn their necks about like 300 degrees or so uh whereas Cardassians can only do it at maybe like 200 degrees but then the idea according to one role-playing game information and apparently another one has different but the idea is that kind of like you can like pop your shoulder out of your socket, like the Cardassians can pop their, uh, their neck off the bone as it were. And if they do that, it's apparently very painful, but they can apparently turn their, turn their heads much further around that
1: way. And, you know, for whatever reason, this is a source of great comedy in Cardassian culture. So I did my, I did some research and I went and got a, uh, a Goldicott action figure, Actually <laughs> This must completely- have been a very uh, hard research for yes. you to do, Matt. You must have yes. really pains you to do it. You can turn his head completely around. So.
0: Well, that just uh, shows how you know the toy manufacturers don't take canon seriously, and we need to hold them accountable, Matt. Apparently not.
1: <laughs> uh, you, anything you want to say about the uh, Odo's? Like he he does this like log narration type thing where he's like giving his security log uh it's it's different from what we've seen in other episodes i i I just want to point it out that it does remind me of like a lot of the old school noir films
0: yeah yeah i mentioned
1: that a minute ago and yeah it it does give it the kind of voiceover
0: feel that like a hard-boiled private detective film or a film noir might have it is kind of funny that odo's in a sense being very passive aggressive with it right like he's pointedly not um you giving any information about the case in the log and he's just going on these kind of kind of weird boring complaints about having to do the log and his reflections on what does it mean to pursue justice and you know almost as if to specifically spite cisco and starfleet
1: so uh we also learned that uh kira is actually the one who gives odo the title of constable i felt like this was an odo like odo tell like odo begins or something yeah yeah
0: it's like that that scene in the last crusade where indiana jones gets the damn hat as a kid
1: <laughs> And the whip and the fear of snakes. It's a it's a little on the nose. Yeah, he, he meets everybody that he uh, ends up working with in DS Nine. Uh, one
0: thing
1: I, I was- did love that
0: uh, the first time this is skipping a little ahead to Thirst Watch, but it, it is really funny given the the subsequent trajectory of Kira and Odo's relationship. That the first time they meet, um, Kira either thinks Odo is propositioning her or to put Odo off, you know, chooses to act as if she believes that Odo is propositioning her, which was, a, I, I thought, a pretty great moment.
1: Yeah, he comes out and terms like, pretty girl like you shouldn't be eaten alone.
0: <laughs> yeah, a very, a very a very, cheesy film noir, hard-boiled detective line, certainly.
1: Yeah, and going this, this moves a little bit into Thirst Watch to some degree, but Kira tells Odo that, uh, you know, she lost her job at a previous post because a supervisor made sexual advances toward her, and she ended up hitting him. So Bob you cannot tell me that this is the same person from the previous episode who gets harassed by the Nagus multiple times and does not knock him out. I can for
0: two reasons. One is she might she might very possibly be lying to Odo in order to win his sympathy um she you know she is manipulating him for most of the episode and for good reason i might add um and then you know he is he is working as a cop for an occupying force so he ought to expect to get lied to by uh bajorans and then the second reason is i would just say that uh you know when kira is a scrappy resistance fighter she can uh she can afford to give violent vent to her feelings but, you know, when she's the executive officer of a station and is responsible for the harmonious interplay between uh, Ferengi and Bashar in commercial interests, she can't necessarily haul off and uh, slug the leader of the Ferengi uh, alliance, even if he deserves it, which he probably did.
1: And he you heard from it from Bob. If you're going to if you're going to be in a position of power, it's OK to be sexually harassed. OK, thanks, Bob. All right. So damn, <laughs>
0: damn. Just just trying, just trying to get me canceled over yeah. here. <laughs>
1: Hashtag cancel bob. Alright, anyway. <laughs> so the ending of the episode is left open to like some interpretation. Uh, since we're unsure if Odo will ever be able to trust Kira again. Uh, after all she did murder a Bajoran chemist in cold blood to obtain a list of It wasn't in cold blood, it was in hot blood. Who who makes lists like this on paper though? Like who stuck this in the wall? Why is there a hey, list to begin we- with? And we know that we
0: know from the prior episode uh, duet that Cardassians like the Federation are very obsessive, meticulous record keepers.
1: That's correct. But you put it on a piece of paper. I mean, why? And she's, she's trying to retrieve it, and then this Bajoran chemist. Well, where, is hanging el- out where else are
0: you gonna where else are you gonna put the record, Matt? They have computers
1: that aren't secure. There's <laughs> hackers in the twenty fourth century. <laughs> they have computers. They have hard drives, they have USB drives I'm sure. They have Look, pup they I'm just, have pup they have pup. Put it on the they don't they don't have pup at this point. Oh yeah you're right. Never mind, they don't have and
0: pup. and I would just say that the piece of paper hidden in the you know, hidden in the wall of the chemist office stayed secure for five years. That's you know, for operational security, that's not so
1: bad. Why it write out, it down it
0: outlasted the Bajoran occupation.
1: Why write it down period though? Yeah, you're a great because record keeper. Because the Cardassians are obsessive record keepers. never gonna understand never gonna understand it's like here are people like here are people that i collaborate with uh you know and do evil things let me put it on a long sheet of paper and shove it in the wall okay all right
0: i mean it it does get to the a point that is kind of a common thing in like hard-boiled detectives and film noir stories that they they get so convoluted that it becomes a bit ridiculous right like there's a famous story of um have you ever seen the big sleep with humphrey bogart and lauren bacall no great movie makes no goddamn sense though but so it was based off a raymond chandler novel and then william faulkner was doing the screenplay and then howard hawks was directing the story goes is that howard hawks was like drinking with a production assistant or something and somebody called him up and asked him, because there's a random murder in the, uh, in the movie where the chauffeur gets murdered, but the production assistant and the director, Howard Hawks, are drinking. And the production assistant is like, wait, who kills the chauffeur in our movie? And Howard Hawks takes another drink and is like, shit, I don't know, let's call the writer. So they uh, call up William Faulkner, who's doing the screenplay, and it's late, and Faulkner's already drunk. Uh, If you ever want to see a a great uh, fictional version of that, the movie Barton Fink has a great loose... Portrayal of drunk Faulkner in Hollywood. They call up Faulkner, one of the 20th century's greatest novelists, who's reduced to doing detective films uh, for Warner Brothers. And they're like, "Hey, Bill, who uh, who killed the chauffeur?" And he's like, "Shit, I don't know. Call the call the novelist." So they call uh, they call up Raymond Chandler, who was also a notorious alcoholic, like the other two, and was very drunk at this point. And when he when he answers and they ask him who kills the chauffeur, he's like, "Shit, man, I forgot about that." Well, so I'm just saying it's a, it's a long and proud tradition of hard-boiled detective storytelling for it to, you know, maybe have some trouble on close examination. Glad
1: we're here to do that.
0: All right, let's <laughs> move on to Babylon 5. All right, all right. So in Signs Importance, which again is episode 13 of season one, we've got the A-plot where Centauri, Lord Kiro, and his aunt Lady Ladera come to Babylon 5 to transport an important Centauri relic, the Eye, um, Malari has brokered the recovery of the eye from a mysterious object finder, and they're going to take the eye back to the Centauri homeworld. In the B plot, we have raiders stepping up their assaults on commercial transports near Babylon 5, but strangely, Ivanova and Delta Wing are tasked to stop an assault on the transport Achilles from much further out from the
1: station. Hold on, guys. Hold on, guys. We also have a C-plot and a D-plot for this episode. Yeah, yeah. Four plots. Four plots. getting crazy.
0: In the C-plot, a mysterious man named Morden visits each of the major alien ambassadors, asking them in turn, what do you want? Usually they take much longer to answer the question than Matt did at the opening of the episode, so kudos to Matt. And then we also have a D-plot where at Sinclair's request, Garibaldi investigates any connections between the Battle of the Line and Sinclair's partially recovered memories. Garibaldi discovers by the end of the episode that Sinclair was specifically chosen by the Minbari to run Babylon 5. I think they uh, vetoed something like 26 candidates before they settled on Sinclair.
1: Right. Yeah. So Sinclair was not really at the top of the list till the Minbari uh, got involved. Alright, so there's a whole lot to unpack here. Honestly, the A-plot, strangely, is probably the, the least important part of this episode, in my opinion. Even though it all kind of connects together. B-plot to me wasn't that important, but this mysterious man, Morden. What is up with this dude? He shows up, and he's asking questions like some kind of freak. Go into each ambassador, and I'm just going to kind of go through what each one says. And Bob, I don't want any spoilers, but I need to understand... I need to have maybe just something here. Just help me out. So he, yeah. goes, he goes to Jakar first. He wants the Centauri... To, Jakar wants the Centauri destroyed and the safety of the Narn homeworld. All right, good for Jakar. All right, D'Lynn, he, he walks up to her, and she tells him to get out and says they're here. And the little triangle thing on her head or diamond thing on her head, like, lights up. Mm-hmm. All right. Malari wants the uh, Centauri Republic to rise again to its former glory wants to command the stars at it's rightful place as it's rightful place. I mean, come on. Like he, that, so really Jakar wants the opposite of what Malari wants. Malari wants the opposite of what Jakar wants.
0: Although it's kind of, it's kind of worth looking at like what the differences are between what Malari and Jakar want. I mean, obviously they, they each want to see the other's civilization brought low, but it's kind of interesting that Jakar doesn't really have much imagination like beyond the revenge on the Centauri. Like Morden has to keep prompting him. And then, you know, the only thing he can really come up with is that he just wants to make sure that the homeworld is safe. Whereas um, Malari's vision is much more explicitly imperial, right? It's much more nostalgic. It's much more about like stretching out Centauri power. Uh, it's much more imperial. Whereas uh, ultimately, Jakar's vision is just kind of, you know, he wants revenge and then he, he wants safety. So it's, it's actually. Even though they're both kind of violent desires,
1: they they've got a pretty different orientation or valence to them. So then then Morden he Flat Out avoids Kosh at first, okay? He like sees Kosh and he, like gets away from him.
0: Mm-hmm. But later
1: he confronts Kosh. Kosh says, Flat out, they are not for you. I think he's referring to humans, correct?
0: Mm, I I think he's referring to all the all the younger species, I think. So all the younger not, species on the station. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I think. I'm not totally confident in that, but I think it's all the younger
1: species. So why didn't Morden ask a human? Because he hasn't gone to, he didn't go to any of the humans. Or he didn't go to Sinclair, he didn't go to anybody that was human.
0: It's a good question. Um, there are... I, I don't know that the I don't know that the series ever directly answers it, but you I could I mean I could give you a pretty spoiler spoiler spoilerly answer um, so, that I'm not going to do, but you could infer reasons he doesn't go to the humans, but um, I don't I don't think the the show ever directly addresses why he doesn't.
1: Okay. Anyway, he goes to every single one of them, and then. I think he and kosh get in a fight too right it's like implied they do maybe yeah that's the
0: that's the implication
1: right because we don't we
0: don't see how the encounter between morden and kosh end and then only later does kosh report into sinclair and to uh, ivanova that his encounter seat was damaged so it's the implication is that there was some sort of altercation but it's not totally clear
1: when the raider battle wagon or whatever escapes babylon 5 with the stolen eye and it's got the hostages on there this mysterious black vessel like tentacle things comes and blows it up mm-hmm. and destroys it completely but then morden comes back with the eye and gives it to malari Is there's a, is there supposed to be a pretty like extensive amount of time between the return of the eye or was that like the same day
0: uh, I think it would need to be about the same day, right? Because I, it, you get the impression that Ladira would be leaving for Centauri Prime pretty soon. So, right. I, I would, I would assume a pretty, and also like Londo seems to be very dejected about the loss of the Eye and Lord Kiro, So it seems like it, it's pretty immediately after. Like it seems like it's the evening of the same
1: day. Okay, so I mean Londo's pretty much screwed at this point because he knows that they're going to, you know, he's not going to be like the laughingstock of the entire uh, Centauri Republic because he lost the eye. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's not going to have the same uh, prestige as he's had before. But what about, okay, so how does Morgan get the eye, though, if it blew up on the ship? Well, I think it's pretty safe to, we're not really told that much about the eye. I I thought it was kind of
0: strange we're not even really told the full, I thought there was a fuller name of the eye, but... Uh, scraping around it on the internet, I wasn't able to find one, but it seems like a safe assumption that the eye is pretty durable and, you know, maybe could survive the destruction of a starship because we learned that it was lost um, in a starship battle. Well, they don't say explicitly, but they say it was lost in a battle a thousand years before, and, you know, it seems like that probably would have been a starship battle. So it seems like it might be this kind of, you know, one of the
1: reasons it's so special might be this durability. Okay so is morden human or not uh that's
0: that's a question i wanted to ask you if you think morden is human
1: i i mean he looks human seems human uh i did catch and you, you had mentioned this earlier to me before when we were just kind of talking that uh at the very beginning of the episode he says he's been out on the rim which i don't know i don't is that far away yeah, it is. Okay. Um, that
0: that's gonna that's gonna start paying off in season two. Um, I, I I was actually pleasantly surprised by that line because this is maybe the third time I've watched this episode, and I. But it's the first time I've watched the, this episode since having seen most of the rest of the show, and I did not. I I, I it, that that does set up later stuff in season two, so it's kind of cool.
1: The only thing, the only reason I think Morden may not be human is because he was able to. Retrieve the eye so quickly. And, the, and also, at the very end, when he does give the eye back to uh, Malari, he kind of vanishes and has that like scary-sounding voice or whatever, so it kind yeah, of makes it yeah. sound like he's a bad guy, but I don't know if he is or not. I don't know what's going on, but whatever.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's kind of interesting.
1: Uh, what kind of Just out of curiosity,
0: I had some talk with JR about this on our season one episode, but what what sort of like
1: uh kind of social vibes do you get off Morden? Uh, he seems kind of I mean it, really he just asks a question honestly like he doesn't really say much of anything else he's weird looking kind of yeah I
0: I I didn't really I didn't really get, I didn't really notice this until J R told it to me but I thought it was really funny that he he says that Morden really has kind of like finance bro vibes. Which with that with that sort of weird blazer he has, and the, there's just something kind of broy about Morden's face, and I, I just thought that was a kind of amusing description of his uh, energy, as it were.
1: Yeah, he's. But see, I, I just kind of attributed to that this being in the '90s, like he just kind of has a yeah '90s yeah. dude look to me. Like I didn't really pick up on that.
0: He's like a '90s dude who like went onto Wall Street or something.
1: Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Yeah.
0: Uh, Two other little things that I I thought are like interesting foreshadowing of the back half of season four, actually, but are not really very connected with Morden or his masters, um, is that we have Garibaldi investigating a memory lapse, which is interesting. And then we also have this sort of job as a finder of people and objects. Um, That's the person that Malari pays off for finding. The eye and that, that role will kind of come up, not that character specifically, but that type of role will come up in the back half of season four. So I thought both of those were kind of interesting.
1: Yeah, that was, that was kind of out of nowhere, though, the whole the whole thing with Sinclair being like, hey, Garibaldi, go investigate this for me and fi- see if you can figure out something that I can't figure out myself, even though it primarily happened to me. I, 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 it, it, was, it was strange. I mean, I, mean, I guess Garibaldi I mean- has his ways, though. He must be pretty... Uh, High up there, as far as a professional investigator goes, yeah, yeah. I mean, Garibaldi's
0: supposed to, you know, be if nothing else, a
1: pretty good investigator, right? So another character we're introduced to, and this is Ladira. She's this that Centauri seer you'd mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. uh, and at one point she says, "The shadows have come for Lord Kuro." Okay, Lord Kuro is the one that dies on the ship that explodes with the black tentacle thing. All right, so. And she also has this vision of Babylon 5 being destroyed. And she tells Sinclair about it. Actually, she lets Sinclair uh, see it, like, in his mind somehow. She got some magical thing. and mm-hmm. uh, But she states that it's only one of many possible futures. Anytime someone says that line, it, I immediately go back to Back to the Future Part 3 at the very end of the film. When Doc Brown's like, Your future hasn't been written yet! You can be anything you want it to be! <laughs> and I just like... <laughs> Uh, but then you also notice in, in, when you when you go back and I actually watched it a couple of times because I, I didn't catch it the first time around but there's a shuttle that's coming out of Babylon 5 in the vision so I'm assuming someone gets out of Babylon 5 before it explodes I, I, I don't know
0: yeah so I I'll just say I'm still in season five and are you could argue it differently but arguably that, uh, arguably, that vision still hasn't paid off yet. Although, ar- arguably, it has. But you could also argue that it, it, it doesn't pay off maybe till the final episode in a weird way. Although I, I, I don't, I don't know the details of it, and I haven't watched it yet.
1: Hmm.
0: Okay. But it, it, that does, on a somewhat related note, that I won't make explicit for fear of spoilers. Um, it does kind of play up with a common theme in Lady Ladirah's prophecies, which is people seem to people don't really seem to realize the time horizon she's working on like she prophesizes when hero is you know one year one year old that he will be killed by shadows and then you know that prophecy does come true and it's sort of it's sort of interesting because you know Kiro is like you know presumably like in his 40s i guess in this episode and so it just you know he just kind of scoffs at the prediction but doesn't you know, but it, it does come true, and I guess the sort of thing with Kiro also kind of points out to the sort of the way the future Ladera sees is shaped by like humanoid agency right like Kiro didn't have to be an idiot he didn't have to cut a stupid deal with the Raiders that was clearly never going to work and you know had he not done those things he wouldn't have died and the prophecy wouldn't have come true so that's maybe kind of an interesting thing to think about vis-a-vis the destruction of babylon 5 Too is like what time horizon is this prediction on and you know obviously kiro had plenty of other options he didn't have to do the stupid thing that he did like so so we we, do we see lady ladera again do you know um i that's think maybe one more time Okay. Uh, she's not a major character though you know she's just kind of doing the mysterious uh, CRS role here but maybe maybe one more
1: time and then the final ep- the final question this episode raises why did the Minbari need Sinclair to run Babylon 5? It's a good question. why is Sinclair the, the man for them? Like you said, there were like 23 other candidates and they're like no we don't we want Sinclair and that's I mean it just keeps getting more and more convoluted. I don't know.
0: We'll get a we'll get answers on that this season, at okay. least, at least somewhat. Um, the other stuff is going to take a lot of the show to play out, but uh Sinclair and the Minbari's relationship, I mean, it, it won't be done at the end of this season, but we we are going to learn a lot more.
1: This this was probably one of the better episodes of Babylon 5 I've watched so far. I had to. i watched. I think I watched it three times through just to get, like, try to make sure I didn't miss anything. because I felt like this was one of the more important ones, especially since so they named the season after it.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, arguably, like, the only episodes you need to watch from season one are Midnight on the Firing Line, the first regular one, this one, and maybe a couple at the end. And yeah, it's. I'm, I'm glad you like this episode because it's. I think this sets up a lot of the plot and a little bit of the tone that like the seasons two through four of the show have. So if you enjoyed this one, that's a good sign that you'll enjoy the show when it really kind of gets into full swing. And, you know, you're not just having random episodes where people come to the station seeking the Holy grail, which guess what? That's next week. Yeah, I'm so excited about that. Yeah. God, that episode is not good.
1: <laughs> All right. So first watch Pork has a thing. Any female species? Human, Bajoran, Klingon, um, Romulan. Trill, yeah. Romulan. Yeah. He's into paura, She offers her gratitude in return for his services. So, little cringe factor there. Then, uh, did you want to mention the thing about Dukat? Oh, yeah, yeah. So, uh,
0: I was looking on Memory Alpha, which I usually do just to make sure I'm, I'm getting the names right, and I, I saw that... Uh, Ducat and Polera were supposed to have an affair and they filmed a scene and it's kind of like Odo walking in as Ducat like kisses Paula and walks out. And so, you know, the implication is they've just uh, had sex And the I think uh, the art, the actor who played Ducat, Mark Alamo, was uh, kind of irritated because I, I, I get the impression Mark Alamo is the type of guy who likes to film love scenes. And uh, it also sounds like the writer of the episode was kind of irritated that they left the scene out because he thought it added to the kind of complexity of the mystery of the episode, um, where you know Ducat could have been involved in the conspiracy um, to kill the pharmacist. So yeah, apparently everybody was a little peeved that they left that scene out.
1: Yeah, that would have been weird. I gotta... I could see it though. I mean, that makes it does make sense. It has a
0: plot. I, I mean, I will say, like, I don't, I don't think I deserve like any great credit for guessing this because I had seen the episode before, even though I didn't really remember it. But like, it is kind of obvious that Kira did it, and like, even like the way they first shoot Kira coming up to Odo, like in the present you know like after he's coming out of the flashback of, of first seeing her like they are shooting it like she's the like she's the murderess you know so like in that way even though i think this is actually is a pretty good episode i really liked it but having a having a bit more multivalence of suspicion where it could have been somebody besides kira or paul Paulra
1: would have been i think a
0: improvement to the mystery
1: so with econ watch uh the only thing I noted was that uh, the Bajoran Power Company, it just the the concept of the Bajoran Power Company was funny to me. I don't know why. <laughs> and then uh, they're cutting off power's lights. Just was funny. I don't know why. I guess if you don't pay your bill, in on Bajor, on Bajor, you, you, you they cut your lights off, like just like they do on Earth, just like they do. Yeah, you. the
0: the post scarcity uh, socialism of the Federation has uh, not made it to Bajor.
1: It's just it's just fascinating. It's it's very similar to the way it is here on Earth. Just guess what? You didn't pay your bill, so now you gotta I mean Paula has to get into the trouble of like blackmailing men just to keep her lights on. Kind
0: of <laughs> yeah it, it, it does seem like that's in a weird way that's the primary instigator of the attempted murder on quark is that okay Paula needs some money so she knows where this she knows where this list is hidden so she's gonna get it to blackmail these guys so she can pay her light bill yep
1: yep that's sure. yeah
0: that's uh that's why you should have very uh, forgiving uh power company uh payment policies in order to not inspire uh conspiracies to commit murder um, on Deep State Watch, um, I did want to quickly flag two things. Uh, the first is that we see a little bit of the Centauri Republic Deep State where Lord Kiro is contemplating a coup. Malari manages to talk him out of it, but it's uh, kind of interesting. This kind of sets up the the stage that there's factions of the Centauri nobility who long for you know the olden days, but they, at this point they also seem pretty inept, pretty unable to realize their dreams for the old days of Centauri uh, conquest and empire. And then we also have a little bit of the Cardassian deep state because we see Ducat running a fairly big network of Bajoran collaborators during the occupation and I really did like how this episode had Ducat pick Odo as an ostensibly neutral investigator, but really the reason Ducat did that was to just put distance between himself and the investigation to solve the pharmacist murder i thought that was actually pretty astute writing and it gives a pretty plausible reason for odo to occupy the position he did occupy during the bajoran occupation as a cop which when you just describe it it always sounds weird because it's like okay so he worked for the Cardassians, and now he works for the bajorans But this episode sets that up pretty well and sets up Ducat as a sort of conspiratorial figure with deep
1: interest in Bajoran politics, which I rather enjoyed. So we had a couple of, uh, we have a new segment we want to start this week with, we're going to go with character of the week. We're going to be looking at both episodes, uh, episodes of Deep Space Nine, episode of Babylon Five. We're going to choose which character we think was the best, who we thought really stood out, made their mark that particular episode. So, uh, of both. So, of both episodes. So, I'm going to say my pick for this week is Odo. I think Odo killed it. This was like Odo origin story. Learned a ton about him. Uh, I really dug his investigative style. I liked his outfit in the past. You, did you cool.
0: notice that he apparently aped uh, a couple of lines from Columbo? Yeah, yeah, it was it was
1: awesome. Uh, Odo, Odo <laughs> in this episode was awesome. And uh, like you said, you've already said a couple of times, like we really get a, a sense of how he acted during the, during the Cardassian occupation, how that fits in with the overall plot now where he's on DS9 under a Federation uh, Bajoran occupancy. Um, all right, so I'm going to go with Odo on this week. Who are you going for?
0: Uh, just because I hate to agree with you about anything, I'm going to go with Palra. I, uh, I thought she was uh, pretty fun. I love a good femme fatale. Uh, you know, having a murder to keep your uh, lights on is a very relatable motivation. I, I, I feel that. So I'm going to go with Paula. I, uh, I like the kind of very gothic opening with the storm and the candles or her in a dress. It was it was very nice. And, uh, you know, she knows how to manipulate Quark, and I always appreciate that in a woman.
1: Nice. So no love for our Babylon 5 characters this week. That's okay, because we'll get back yeah. to that next week with Grail.
0: If uh, if Virkado didn't exist, I would say that Lord Kiro and Lady Ladira were my least favorite centauri. But Virkado does exist, and he is
1: in fact my least favorite centauri. Uh, I also put up a poll. I'm I think I'm gonna start doing this every episode just to get an idea. But apparently, Bobby Bob thought this Boo. poll was awful. So uh, <laughs> and I have to I have to after getting the results, I have to agree completely with him that it was a terrible poll. But I kind of wanted to tie it into an episode, so. After learning the truth about Kira's past in the DS9 episode Necessary Evil, do you think Odo should ever trust Kira again? We had 61 people say, uh, yes, he should trust her. We had one person say no. So, not worth pulling.
0: I'm sorry, when you're a cop for an occupying regime, you should expect the people you're occupying to lie to you, and you shouldn't take it personally. (laughs) (laughs) like i don't i don't know like uh that's i mean it's it's a nice scene between them they're two characters i like it's 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 a well-played scene at the end but still it's just kind of like no like odo was a cop for an occupying regime what does he expect
1: true true so hopefully next week we'll have a better poll going out there but uh Yeah,
0: yeah. So, uh, tune in next week. Uh, we're going to cover the already mentioned, uh, Holy Grail episode of Babylon 5, which sets up a, a fairly consistent and annoying motif throughout Babylon 5 and Crusade of King Arthur references, Joy. And, uh, we're also going to have what I believe is another Trill-focused episode of DS9. Uh, we're skipping ahead to Season 2, Episode 17,
1: Playing God. A religious, uh, imagery going to be going on here. Yeah. Yeah. We're
0: going to have micro universes and Holy Grails. It's a, it's a real cornucopia of uh, theological import. All right. All right. Well, this has been Babylon five versus deep space nine. This is uh, Bob from Cascadia. I've had Matt from the
1: Southland on the line.
0: We'll see you next time.
1: Thanks for listening. And remember you can follow us on Twitter at V5VSDS9. Uh, for show notes, subscribe to our substack, b5vsds9.substack.com. We're available on all major and most minor podcatchers. Please like and subscribe on your podcatcher of choice. If you have a question about either show or anything else you'd like us to tackle, leave a five-star review on Apple Podcast or another podcatcher. Take a screenshot. Email that screenshot to us with your question at b5vsds9 at gmail.com, and we will answer your question on the show. Uh, we plan to start a Patreon with bonus content in the near future, so if you have any ideas of stuff you'd like to see for bonus episodes, email us at b 5 vsds 9 at gmail.com.